You haven't even paid me from last time. I haven't watched Halo either. I'm going to summarize Halo Season 2 based on the Watching Now Halo podcast from Couch Soup. This is going to be fun. So Chief could be crazy. <laughs> Cortana's had a facelift. We're a bit mixed. Quan and Soren's story is really boring. Is, is it over yet? Reach is f***ed. Reach for the stars. You all are gonna die. Spartans have a new leader called Ackerson. More like Dickerson. Apparently McKee is alive. She didn't die on screen, so she's probably not dead. Key's definitely not dying. Right, right, right. And the flood is coming. Is the water on this planet? What do I know? You should be listening to the Watching Now Halo podcast everywhere. Podcasts are available. Where's my money, Drew? From the team that brought you the award-winning show Retro Replay and the Emmy-nominated comedy series Con Man comes a new idea just crazy enough to be good. Introducing Couch Soup. I know, I know, you're probably wondering, what is Couch Soup? Well, Couch Soup is content for your hungry nerd soul. Daily articles from fans, not pundits. Weekly podcasts that contain a multiverse of opinions on all things pop culture. Exclusive videos and weekly live streams where we laugh, scream, and sometimes have technical difficulties. All created by folks like you, the gamers, the film nerds, the TV bingers, comic book lovers, bookworms, and pop culture enthusiasts, all in one giant bowl of beautiful, disgusting, soupy goodness at CouchSoup.com. All Things Alice. This podcast will explore the cultural phenomenon of Alice in Wonderland as artistic landmark and global symbol of inspiration and imagination. I'm your host, Frank Bedore, the author of the Looking Glass Wars trilogy. Let's explore what is it about Alice? Welcome to the show, everyone. This week is an exciting first here on All Things Alice. I'm joined by Craig Hanks, who is a phenomenal podcaster. He's got a lot of experience, much more than I do. He has over 400 episodes. He's joining me today because recently I was lucky to be a guest on his podcast, Legendarium. And you can tell by the name, he's a J.R.R. Tolkien's fan. Well, he's actually more of a scholar. And I think everyone should give it a listen. He talks to a lot of fantastic authors and, and takes some crazy deep dives into books we all know and love. And don't forget to check out episode 414, where we talk about all things Alice. But first, stay tuned. You're going to enjoy this trip down the rabbit hole as Craig gives us an inside look at what it takes to grow a podcast from the ground up and share some really interesting stories about the famous writers he's rubbed elbows with. So Craig, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Frank, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing Good. really well. Thanks for doing this. Of course, yeah. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, same. How's it been going with your uh, with your podcast? Oh, it's been going great. Let's see. Started a brand new uh, series. With, well, it, the series isn't new, but our podcast series is new. Uh, discussing uh, Matt Stover, uh, The Act of Cain. Oh, okay. Okay, great. Have you ever read it? I haven't. 
Oh, it is. Well, it's dark. <laughs> it's it's uh, kind of one of those 90s grim darks, you know, that okay. get pretty intense. Um, so that's fun. And then I'm also getting uh, on Thursday, I have an interview with Tom Shippey, uh, one of the world's foremost Beowulf and Tolkien scholars. Wow. So wow. I'm really looking forward to that. Like <laughs> he's, he's been important to me since I was 17, 16. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm excited about talking to you about that stuff. Um, mm. You know, you're, you know, I, I was impressed with your podcast because you find themes to talk about and you've done so many episodes. So the theme mm -hmm. that we talked about was why stories last and so forth. And um, you guys take such a deep dive into some of these, you know, amazing novels and works of literature. Um, and I'm really, I'm really curious about, about that and your love of that. But I'm also I'm also interested in talking about your podcast because with my podcast, with all things Alice, Alice is really, really a metaphor for creativity and for people finding their voice and sometimes their process. Mm -hmm. um, often I talk to folks that have something that they've created directly related to Alice. And sometimes people don't have that much of a Alice influence in their creativity, but they reference pop culture and things they love. Sure. So... I would like to talk to you about the creativity and the inspiration and this execution that's been going on for many, many years with your podcast. You take the name, I'm assuming, from Tolkien. Yes, indeed. So, uh, so you can talk about that. But can you just can we just start this conversation since we? I have I've done 20 episodes of my podcast and you've done 450 and you have a lot of different <laughs> associations you do podcasts about authors whether it's CS Lewis or Tolkien or Robert Jordan mm -hmm. um, and you take these deep dives and then you have author shelf which is interesting where authors come on and talk about the books that influence them is that right yeah, it's it could be that they influence them. It could just be that they love them for some other reason. Okay, okay. So I yeah. love that. It's super cash. And uh, you talk about movies and TV. And I, I do a lot of that because all my friends are in the movie business mm -hmm. or television business or yeah. game business. And so I'm I'm interested in the imaginative moment that this all came together for you to launch a podcast about these uh great books and your yeah. love of it yeah sure yeah did you want me to launch into that now i i absolutely <laughs> do I, I i'm not as professional as you so i don't really have a starting and so i just kind of just make it really conversational so um so tell me um you know i i love your setup by the way it's uh super professional to look at so uh do you remember you know what happened what was the yeah well I mean, I can start with the setup behind me. Yeah. I, so I have uh, an outbuilding in my backyard. It's about 300 square feet, built mm. it from the ground up. Me and my dad built it. And it was for this purpose, for podcasting, YouTube, uh, that sort of thing. I was working full time in, uh, as a content marketer a few years ago. So that was part of the impetus for this. Uh, but people will come in here and they'll say, oh my gosh, like the, the microphones are really nice. Look at all these cameras and, uh, you know, how much did this cost? And I'll say, I have no idea because it took me 10 years to cobble it all together. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's been, I've been going at this for a long time. 
Uh, I first started podcasting back in 2009 uh, when I was working uh, at the campus radio station where I went to school. And just I've I was one of those weirdo kids who instead of turning on the TV, I would turn on the oldies station, the classic rock station. Uh, because I loved the DJs. Mm. The music was amazing too, right? But I loved hearing the DJs and fantasizing about being the guy with the microphone. And and so then I finally got a job in radio and went, oh, okay. So so there's no money in this. <laughs> <laughs> what else could I do? Uh, so, so I started podcasting on the side while I was uh, still in school. And, it, you know, nothing really took off for a few years. And it wasn't until we started the Legendarium back in 2014 that that things started to crystallize and i had moved back to my hometown um rekindled my friendship with my best friend uh, from elementary school i mean you know we we've known each other for a long time and we're brainstorming ideas and i said you know i'd love to do something about fantasy about science fiction about you know kind of a, a book club type of thing uh, you know, maybe we'd start with the Lord of the Rings. And he goes, I've never read it. And I said, well, that settles that. <laughs> so that's a, so we did a, a deep dive, 17 episodes on the Lord of the Rings. And I, you know, as kind of the expert guy walking the first timer through it. Uh, so we had an interesting dynamic there. And uh, instead of sticking with Tolkien, yeah, we uh, started branching out. We read Brandon Sanderson and Robert Jordan and, uh, you know, all these uh, diving into some of the classics, uh, getting mm. into the classic sci-fi, doing Starship Troopers, that mm. sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, we now have a list of dozens of authors that we've covered, some more deeply than others. But, uh, yeah, it's been going for a while. How, how are you an expert in Tolkien? What, where, where did that start? Was that something from a teenage reading or earlier? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... So the true, the true blue snobs out there would call me at best an autodidact. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So yeah, it's all self-taught. I, when I was um, 15, I went and saw the Fellowship of the Ring with my family. I'd never seen it before, never read the books or anything. Um, And it was as uh, C.S. Lewis calls Lord of the Rings. It was a bolt from the blue, from the clear sky. Uh, I, it was one of those things I don't know. I've talked to a few people about this and some people seem to have had this experience, not everybody, but there are a few times in my life. And this is one of them where in the moment at that actual moment, I can feel that everything about my life has just changed. Oh, (laughs) yeah. And I mean, I'm not halfway through the movie. The screen goes black. Somebody starts whispering in Elvish and Kate Blanchett goes, the world has changed. I'm like, all right, I'm that's it. I'm done. My life is uh, my life as I knew it is over. Here we go. Uh, this is the greatest thing I've ever experienced. And so from there, you know, I bought the books and um, I did the teenage fan thing for a while. Like, oh, how dare the movies make this change? And, oh, you know, it, kind of grumbling that that way. Oh, even though you saw the movie first and you went back and you read the mm-hmm. the books and then you started to sort of critique the movie? Oh, yeah. Only oh, a teenager yeah. can do that. Oh, exactly. Yeah, no, it's uh, some people, unfortunately, never seem to grow out of it. But yeah, definitely. It's a. Uh, I kind of feel like if a teenager doesn't do that, there's something <laughs> there's weird about him, right? Something wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I 
I was 17, 16 or 17 when my mom bought me a copy of The Silmarillion. Mm. And anybody who's read The Silmarillion knows that that is the true like uh, uh, refiner's fire for Tolkien fans. Like, do you actually want to read Tolkien? <laughs> How did you do with The Silmarillion? And uh, and it, again, kind of like going to that theater for the first time. I, it, in this case, it was I got to the last page and went, my life will never be the same. This was remarkable um and so then i started reading kind of secondary stuff the tom shippey stuff the the scholarly essays and and works about tolkien and about the lord of the rings so that's kind of where that uh where that came from so i've been doing that for gosh 20 years now i want to go back to the between 2009 and 2014 because you know i i've had folks come on and after a podcast you know they're real creative and they they're thinking about doing something you know whether it's a podcast or doing something on youtube or doing you know masterclass with writing and teaching and things like that mm. um but there's a lot of like i even notice in the 20 episodes i've done it's like okay i need to refine this i need to think about this in a more you know critical a critical way um, and I'm curious from 2009 to 2014, before you landed on, you know, the real podcast that would grow and last mm -hmm. and had some resonance for you, what were some of the ideas that didn't work? Because in failing, often it opens doors mm -hmm. and I want people to hear like, what's some of the ideas you might've had? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> uh, so, um, I, the first show I ever did was actually with my wife. We got married very young. We were still in college. Um, so I was still at the radio station. And I was working actually as a producer. So I wasn't uh, in front of the microphone, but I was constructing uh, episodes for this host to do something similar to what we're doing now, a conversation with this or that you know, campus scholar. And so I would do all this research and, he, and feed him questions and make him sound smart. And it, it was a great job. I loved that job. Um, so I, I took it home and I said, Hey, uh, do you want to do a podcast with me? I don't know about me just talking into a mic. That sounds a little bit, uh, you know, crazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so do a podcast with me. And we, it, it the, here was the conceit. And I still love this. Honestly, it was called the weaklings. Uh, <laughs> okay. W E E K. Okay. It was a weekly <laughs> podcast. It was we called it the weaklings. And we had several segments, recurring segments throughout the show, the, the story of the week, the wiki of the week, we'd pull a random Wikipedia article and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and we did, I want to say 15 or so episodes uh, before she couldn't take it anymore. She didn't, <laughs> she did not like the back and forth, the kind of confrontation and arguments that we'd have about this and it stressed her out. So, so that didn't last. <laughs> Maybe not good for the marriage. <laughs> exactly. It was... Again, we got married very young and uh, we, you know, we were still figuring ourselves out, let alone yeah. each other. And so learning how to communicate. Yeah. Uh, Live, took... where people listening to your life exactly, unfold exactly. in front of you might not be the best strategy in the world. <laughs> Luckily, I'm pretty sure we had like 25 listeners and most of those were family. So that's, uh, that's something. But it did, you know, I'll tell you. When I when I had the idea, hey, I want to start podcasting. This seems like uh, something that would be fun. I was listening to NPR shows that were just starting to be podcasted, This American Life and Radio Lab, and so I said, but I, I don't really know how to do this. 
So I went to the campus library and I kid you not, I picked up a copy of Podcasting for Dummies and it was beautiful. It walked me through the entire thing. Now there are a million resources online that'll take you through all the same kind of stuff, but it was, uh, it was perfect back in 2009 uh, to get me set up, find the equipment and, and get on there and well, I'm, 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 re- I'm really impressed with that because in 2009, it was way ahead of the curve. And um, I went to a John Mulaney concert uh, recently oh, wow. at uh, the Hollywood Bowl. And one of his jokes was, you know, he looked out at the whole, all these people in Los Angeles and said, oh, oh no, I know you all have a podcast. I'm not going to listen to it. We're going to, whatever. And he made some joke about everybody having a podcast. And I went, oh man, I just started. I just had my second day and John Mulaney's making a, making a joke about it. So, uh, so. it's, it's so true. I mean, it's, it used to be something people found interesting, you know, when we had the legendarium and started it in 2014. Um, oh, oh, you have a podcast. What's it about? Tell me more. And now it's like, Oh, you have a podcast. Yeah. Great. Apparently, did you know? I didn't know this until recently. Somebody told me that on the dating apps, um, if you say that you have a podcast, it's some huge red flag. (laughs) Nobody will swipe right on you. I thought that was hilarious. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, That's like saying I'm writing a screenplay. Um, You know, it's just so (laughs) unlikely. You know, I'm record or I'm I'm uh, I'm calling in from Salt Lake City, and if somebody says in Salt Lake City, "Hey, I'm writing a screenplay," somebody goes, "Oh, really?" Yeah. <laughs> in L.A., that might be a little different. <laughs> it's so true. I, I when I first came to uh, when I first came to Los Angeles, um, I went to a restaurant with for had lunch with a friend of mine, Ken Friedman, who had written The Fugitive and Johnny mm-hmm. Handsome and a, and a bunch of movies, and. We started, I had wanted to, I had told him a story about the 10th Mountain Division, the skiing and climbing troops that fought during World War II, and he was really interested. And I was at lunch, and I was kind of whispering, and I think we could do a screenplay. And he goes, well, let me tell you about the first act and the second act, and I'm looking around, and I don't want people thinking I'm talking about a screenplay, because the cliche of it was so cringeworthy. Um... But, oh, absolutely. But, yeah. you know, I had to get over it. But I, like, if I walk into a coffee shop and everybody's working on their screenplay, I have to leave. I, 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 I can't work in that environment. I, it's, it, it, it brings home the, the stark reality that it's really almost impossible to break out. So on that, how did you guys break out and establish yourself um one of the ways i understand is by doing other people's podcasts but there probably wasn't that many podcasts when you were doing yours right yeah exactly we actually i i don't think i guessed it on a podcast until you know three four years later Mm. Uh, it it was a while so yeah as you say it was a little early it was mostly little rinky dink operations like us in the attic or npr you know putting out (laughs) huge shows (laughs) right um, and so, yeah, I didn't do a lot of that, but when we moved on from Tolkien, you know, we, we'd found a couple hundred listeners or something like that. It was still pretty small, but when we moved on to Brandon Sanderson, so he, for those who don't know, is the author of, he's, as far as I know, the biggest selling fantasy author currently right now, you right. Know, I'm, not, I'm not talking historically. And, and, and <laughs> he lives in Utah, doesn't he? He, he does. lives in Salt Lake or Provo or somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. He lives, uh, yeah, he lives a little, little ways North of BYU campus. Um, yeah. okay. and I knew that I'd never met him before, but because I was in Utah, I had, 
gotten to his books when they were published, you know, so I'd, I'd been reading him for a long time. So we started into Brandon Sanderson and I said, you know what, it, nobody's listening to this because nobody knows it exists. And so I did the shameless self-promotion thing, got on Reddit and uh, told all the Brandon Sanderson fans, hey, we're doing this. And that is kind of what blew it up. Wow. Uh, people were at the time, I think it was 2015. Um, or maybe, yeah, I think it was still 2014, actually. But people were starved for content like this. They loved it. They loved having the discussions on Reddit. But now you have somebody's voice in your ear, or, or several somebody's. We had four people now uh, on the panel. And so, you know, it gives you that feeling of sitting in the living room with your buddies, and they're talking about your favorite book. And uh, so now we are we're one of hundreds of such podcasts. At the time, we were one of two you know <laughs> right. maybe something like that so but had you always um focus on such a deep dive because the other thing that's unique uh in terms of what you guys talk about is the rereading of these books and sometimes mm. you guys reread these books like four or five times which <laughs> seems insane to me how do you have the time frank we're dorks okay <laughs> we're dorks Okay, it's uh, we we've accepted it, and it's time for you to accept it. <laughs> okay, okay. So tell me, tell me how. Um, so just in terms of when you're breaking down a story in a, mm -hmm. a a series or an author, you're were you getting feedback from listeners that were really loving that you're tell me how they were yeah. giving you the information that let you expand your understanding of what was working with your podcast? Yeah, it's um, this. It's a great question and something that I stumbled into early on, actually in those Reddit threads where I would go on and it's it's a little tacky to go on and just say, here's a podcast, listen to it. Uh, yeah. Even at the time, that, that was a little too self-promotional. And so what I would do is say, hey, we're going to record a podcast about X book. What are your observations, questions? What do you want us to talk about as we have this discussion? Uh, and so people would get engaged before the show came out. Then we put it out and they get to hear us, you know, uh, ask their question. You know, this one comes from, you know, lightning tiger seven, seven at you know, whatever yahoo.com. And, uh, right. and, uh, <laughs> and uh, they, they get a thrill from that. And we still kind of carry this through today. But I think that was one of the things that helped uh, mm. help build that core audience was that, that participation. And it's not when you do it right; it's not a gimmick. We're, we're not you're sharing. We're not doing it for the self promotion. Yeah. It makes for much better conversations, much better episodes when you're engaging with the audience. Yeah, right? I mean it's a it's a give and take. It's an interaction. It's just what you're doing. It's having a conversation, just not in person. So yeah, so that that would help us to have individual episodes, but also it got people used to the idea that hey, these are these guys will actually respond, and so they would suggest books for us. And for the most part, uh, we it wasn't a popularity contest. You know, we weren't tallying up. Okay, this many people want us to read Patrick Rothfuss. It was more along the lines of, you know, what I've I've heard that name come up so many times that I think we need to put it on our list, and yeah. we'll get to it at some point. So, you know, we've never chased the um, the next big thing. In fact, kind of going back to your earlier question about the rereading and whatnot that I that I accidentally <laughs> brushed aside, my apologies. But there are, I think, two 
generically or generally speaking, there are two different types of readers, those who love to read widely and those who love to read deeply. Mm. Um, and I've always been a deeper reader. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, in fact, over 450 episodes and dozens of authors, this is way too wide for me. I, (laughs) I would much rather just stick with, you know, one or two authors and really get into it for 500 episodes. Like that's, that's my wheelhouse. Uh Um, but, uh, you know, I, everybody has their own flavor of how they, so how did, they consume. So did Brandon um, come on your show eventually or? He did. Yeah. Yeah. And I how- actually, uh, I, so I've gotten to know Brandon Sanderson a little bit. I'm a beta reader for him now, oh, okay. uh, which is a lot of fun, um, and, which didn't even come through the podcast, at least not primarily. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it, he was our first author's shelf episode. Uh, oh. So we mentioned the author's shelf earlier that's where an author pulls something off of their shelf that's not theirs um and i got this idea because i was at a signing of his and he asked or so i i was asking for his help doing a little audio hit i just wanted him to say into a tape recorder or audio recorder hi this is brandon sanderson author of mistborn welcome to the legendarium that's all i wanted so i go to this signing and I ask his assistant, can I get him to do this? And the assistant says, yeah, he'll do it, but you have to wait till the end of the signing. Mm. I said, okay, no problem. So I, st- I stood there with his team, kind of chatting, yucking it up for four hours, about 10 feet away from his table while he signed books over and over and over again. And as I was sitting there, kind of listening with one ear to the conversations he was having, um, I noticed that he had maybe 10, 12 questions the whole time. He just got them dozens of times each. And he was such a pro. He handled it great. He answered everybody with the same level of enthusiasm and it was wonderful. But I also had the thought like, ah, you know, if I ever had him on my show, I don't think I'd have anything interesting to ask him. He's mm. heard it all. You know, mm. he, he's had these questions a thousand times. And so when I finally got him uh, in front of the recorder and got, got the little audio hit, I said, hey, Brandon, you know, we'd love to have you on the show. And he got that look in his face like, oh, no, how do, how do I say no to this? <laughs> I don't, don't want to do some chumps podcast. <laughs> and I said, I said, I'd love to have you on the show, but hang on. I want to have you on to talk about something that's not you and something that's not your books. And he goes, oh, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> so he had just written a, a uh, maybe the year before he had written a, an obituary for Terry Pratchett. Oh, who had recently sure, passed away. Sure, I, and, I think I read that. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, so I said, you know, you're a huge fan of Pratchett. We'd love to have you on to talk Pratchett. So that's where the author shelf started. Uh, I was just trying to get uh, a different way to talk to authors um, uh, and get to know them because we've all read the books and we all know their biography, but how do they think about other books? Yeah, and I'm I'm always curious, and I'll ask you, um, what was the first book that you know your folks might have given you, or you found at the library, or a friend that you mm. know kind of inspired um, inspired your reading? And before you answer, I'll I'll just tell you, I have two young kids, and I was worried about their reading, and I went to a comic book shop, and uh, it was uh, a Star Wars comic that my son sat back in this green leather uh, couch and I saw him leaning back, falling into the couch, reading really intently. And I said, son, we have to go. And he didn't look up. 
And I said to myself, <laughs> he couldn't even hear you. That was the moment. That was the moment he discovered story and reading. And I don't know. I think he might have been seven, six or seven. Maybe he was eight. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm curious if you have a similar memory of it. I- well, I, I I have two kids as well, and I also have a love hate relationship with the Dave Pilkey books, the Captain Underpants, and the the <laughs> oh, Dog come Man. Come on, those are awesome. I, what are you talking about? What's to hate about those? <laughs> I just I yeah I do not like reading them with my kids, but I love that they love reading them. So um, anyway, no, when I was a kid, I would have been, um, you know, I, when I was that age six yeah. seven yeah. eight years old i you know, read all the goosebumps books and uh-huh. the hardy boys and uh, all that too. stuff yeah and, and that, that was great fun i still like encyclopedia brown holds a special place in my heart that sort of thing but then when i turned nine years old it wasn't on my birthday but it was very shortly after my mom comes to me i still can't believe she did this honestly she comes to me and hands me sphere by michael crichton and says i think you might like this and i what? went all right cool i gave it a shot <laughs> So I read Sphere um, and loved it. And then I got uh, a copy from her of The Sword of Shannara, Terry Brooks, mm-hmm. 1977 book. And so this would have been back in the 90s when I was reading it, but uh, uh, pretty classic. But she was feeding ripoff. you, but she was feeding you all sorts of different things, right? She, I mean, because that's fantasy and that's, you know, adventure or like tech. And so. Yeah, uh, those were the only two that my parents ever actually gave me to read and said here you need to read this but what they did was they they filled their bookshelves um with all sorts of interesting looking spines you know which is what this this is the great thing about sci-fi and fantasy is uh you know love them or hate them the covers are interesting yeah yeah yeah. that's uh, really important boy did i find out how important that is Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, with yours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, tell uh, me more. Well, it's just, um, you know, at, at, at Comic-Cons, uh, you know, from across the hall, and there's so many distractions for people, and a piece of artwork can get a kid's, um, you know, attention, and then they, you can just see, I could see them coming, beelining, right, and I go, it's going to be that card soldier right up there, and they go, what are those things? What are those knights? I go, they're card soldiers. <laughs> Well, why, why are they, what are they a game or what are they from? I go, oh, they're part of this book series. So, uh, you know, it, uh, it became abundantly clear why having great art and, and great covers and fantasy I, and sci-fi do it better than anybody. And, and titling as well. Titling. Um, this mm-hmm. is why, you know, authors don't always get to choose their titles. Uh, just like uh, somebody who writes online, it's often the editor who goes, no, 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 we're going with this one. Um, not always, but nope. often. Uh, when I was 14, I think, um, my friend tried to hand me a copy of the Lord of the Rings. He said, here, read this. You'll love it. And I looked at it. I hated the cover and I read the title. I said, the Lord of the Rings. That's the stupidest title I've ever heard in my life. I'm not touching this. And you keep your stupid book. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, That's yeah, so yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Little did you know. Um, <laughs> so then what, what motivated you? What was the moment that you ended up reading it? It was it was that first oh. uh, peek at Peter Jackson's trilogy. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. But, and did you did you put those two things together though? I remember that book, not my friend. And there's a movie. And why would I yep. want to? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I I don't know why that particular story stuck in my head. Maybe because I was kind of a uh, I don't know how what the language rating on this podcast it's is. Anything but I was you a want. Jerk. <laughs> I was being kind of a jerk okay. to him. Um, and so I think it stuck in my head. So I remembered that year, uh, a year or two later, 
But when I was a little younger, 12, 13, I read The Hobbit for a mm. book report in junior high school. And, you know, I enjoyed it, but I had no idea that this guy had written anything else. And so, yeah, sure, I read this thing about a Hobbit. And it was when I was in the theater watching The Fellowship of the Ring, still in the prologue. You know, I'm I'm a smitten kitten at this point. And we get to the scene where Bilbo finds the ring and Gollum's screaming at him. And I'm so confused because this is opening weekend for the movie. And I'm going, I, I've seen this. And it was killing me because I, I have seen this before, but that's impossible. And it took me four or five minutes before it finally all these things clicked into place. Uh... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that one book I read in the eighth grade. Right. And then, oh, no, I told my friend I would <laughs> never read this series. Oh, gosh. What an idiot. You know, <laughs> it all kind of came crashing down. Well, that was one of the kind of great openings for a movie in terms of, you know, laying out the story and the backstory and the narration and, and the battles. And they did it with so much grace and economy and and then you land right in a character mm. but you have context and it's dramatic um uh so i i remember that opening really well and being blown away not as much as for me it was the same reaction that you had with star wars which was a lot of people's oh, reaction yeah. remembering the theater remembering the vibe remembering everybody walking out and like wow something just transformative has happened you know there's it's an underappreciated i'm not saying not appreciated but it's underappreciated i think by fans of this or that story that when you come to it matters so so much it matters as much as who you are and what it is yeah and when do you come to it and, and not just at what age but what day do you come across this thing what mood are you in are, yeah. you know how excited are you how depressed are you yeah how, whatever and so you have people get really upset sometimes uh you know we'll cover some series that was somebody's favorite as a teenager, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, my co-host decided he wanted to do uh, The Belgariad mm -hmm. uh, by David Eddings. And so we did five books of The Belgariad and we got to the end of it. And I was like, yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but it's, this is his favorite thing yeah, from when he was back. a kid. And, and, you know, people can get really upset about that. And it's like, well, right, because you came to it when you were 13 years old, 16 years old or whatever. Um, you know, they say the golden, the golden age for science fiction is 15 and... Mm -hmm. You know, so when you come to these things really makes a big difference. Well, it certainly was true for me with Alice in Wonderland because mm. I came to Alice when I was 10. My grandmother's name was Alice. Uh, it was my mother's favorite book. And they handed that this book to me. And I looked at the cover and said, there's no way. And they're going, you're reading this. We want you to tell us about this. And the Lord of the Rings? Come on. Yes, exactly the same thing. <laughs> Come on, Mom. She got a blue dress. She goes, what? Down a rabbit hole? This is going to be terrible. And, uh, of course, I, I hated it. So I, I told her later in life that uh, when I started writing The Looking Glass Wars, this was my revenge uh, for for her forcing me to write read that read that that book and um, and it wasn't until college that I reread it and that I right. you know really really re appreciated it and found my way into uh, you know now all things Alice so uh, our 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 lives with these two different books are uh, somewhat parallel I wish there had been a, um, a good Alice in Wonderland movie but um, the thing about Alice in Wonderland is that you know she it's so 
so unlike you know Lord of the Rings, which is the gold standard for you know the reluctant hero story, um, the quest story, and Alice is on a bit of a quest, but it's it's also random and episodic, and it and so unlike Lord of the Rings, you know it was a struggle to find. Uh, uh, a structure to tell that story, certainly as a movie, with the exception of what Disney did. Um, and of course, Tim Burton found his way and he brought his fantastical vision to it. But Lord of the Rings, I mean, it's really defined the reluctant hero story. Yeah, it's it's defined a lot about modern fantasy. It but, has, uh, yeah. But people... That I shouldn't say people. Some people <laughs> do have a tendency, especially when they're younger, to think that fantasy started with Tolkien yeah. in you know 1938. No, it didn't. Fantasy was going on for a long time. It just had a different form. Um, it wasn't, as you say, it wasn't structured the same way. So you had people like uh, Frank Baum or or McDonald or whoever, you know, writing fantastical things. Um, it just uh, it just had a different flavor. And a different purpose. And and Lewis Carroll. I mean, you know, Wonderland has now been defined as a magical place. So there's Winter Wonderland, and um, and Middle Earth is also equally recognizable as a fantasy, you know, realm uh, that in some ways can feel very real and is often referenced in in uh, culture uh, these mm. days, which I find which I find you know really really interesting. But I'm a I was a big you know. Um, uh, Frank Baum fan because I think all authors named Frank are excellent. Um, Clearly, I Dune, mean, it's, Frank Herbert. It's a club. Right? <laughs> it's yeah, a club. You, <laughs> you know, it's uh, Frank Miller's not bad with Sin. <laughs> so, anyway, he's all right. He's, he's all right. whatever. <laughs> yeah, Frank whatever. Miller, he's fine. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think there's been uh, a lot of fantasy, but this has really redefined it and and then with game of thrones that came along and you know and i'm curious it seems like actually let let me let me riff on that for just a moment if you will hold hold your question i don't want you to forget it but um this is something that that tolkien did usher in um as far as what he gave the fantasy genre there there are definitely many things right but one of them is a grounding in reality where when you're reading alice in wonderland uh and you know, it's been long enough that please don't quiz me. But when you fall down that rabbit hole or when you go to the magical land of Oz, um, all bets are off. You have no idea what's up or down, left or right. Everything is, as you say, kind of randomized almost. Um, It's a fever dream. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you get to Tolkien, he bases it on some imagined prehistory of our world. So when I lived for a couple of years in northern France, um, you know, I'm, I'm amid these rolling hills with the the corn and the seeds and the, you know, these yellow flowers and green hills and all. And I am in the Shire, man. I am <laughs> right there. It is exactly as he described it. And it's that kind of grounding that then you have with, say, Westeros, mm-hmm. where, he, yeah, he's basing it on you know, the, the war of the roses, right. Mm-hmm. And kind of basing it on these, this idea of the British Isles and what's across the sea and these, these strange peoples that you come in contact with. And, and it, so it's grounded in reality. Uh, if we, if we go back to Terry Brooks, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. he did a, a, a post-apocalyptic fantasy where 
it's our world, but what happens thousands of years after the nuclear winter, right? So it, it's something that that Tolkien did kind of usher in is this, it's not necessarily a need, but it's um, definitely a trope to make it our world, but fantastical. Yeah. I mean, that trope is, uh, has been so successful. I certainly was completely inspired by finding a way to ground Wonderland and, um, and bring um, rules and logic and history uh, to the elements of visual aspects that people were familiar with. So the Valley of Mushrooms becomes a real place, a destination, and there's rules and there's things that happen there. Uh, and the more I was able to ground the story in something that felt real for people, the more they could suspend disbelief and and really go on the ride. And then I tried to expand it again using uh, maps and other territories that were never part of Lewis Carroll's original work. So, uh, and having those worlds as potential or just referencing them gave the story a broader context um, and different sort of mythologies to play off of. And and so, uh, you know, I, I think that's part of one of those tropes. I mean, falling down a rabbit hole, uh, having a portal is a trope from you know, uh, C.S. Lewis, um, but this kind of, you know, the, the, the palace intrigue, but the palace intrigue is a trope and a genre that works if you can find yourself grounded in the rules and the logic. And so uh, I love that about his books. I mean, he just went so deep and spent so much time. And I often look at the things I've created that I haven't even used. I'm like, wow, I've been really inspired by this guy. Um, mm. I just wish I had more of his talent. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's uh, partly talent. Obviously, he's a, a special creature in the way his mind works, but also time. People forget he was writing The Lord of the Rings for 15, 17 years. Uh, it took him a long time to to just write the book. I mean, it took him his whole life to construct the mythology around it. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I've I've been working on the Looking Glass Wars since two thousand, and it took me four years. It took me four years to write the first book because I kept making so many mistakes. I kept <laughs> writing yeah. myself in corners and going, "Well, that doesn't work. That's not, that's gonna mm. now I have to destruct deconstruct the whole thing." So. Um, I'm always, I, I do get interested in people's experience with their parents and how their parents influenced and shaped them. Um, recently, I had Tom Shulman, who wrote Dead Poets Society, on mm. the show. And he was telling a fascinating story about his dad, who was a doctor, and Tom was pre-med. And his dad just said, why do you want to be a doctor? Like, uh, he goes, well, dad, you seem to really enjoy it. You're great at it. He goes, yeah, I like it. But there's a lot of parts I don't like about it. You should think about it. And that that opening, that acceptance that I don't have to follow my dad opened him up to, to writing and going to USC and doing what he's doing. And I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, when you have this, much love for literature and pop culture and movies and, you know, finding a way to make a career out of that is, is really unusual and not often encouraged in society. Um, so sure. tell me 
how you navigated or what your folks had to say or, or anybody else who, a mentor who might have influenced you? Yeah, well, I will say this, uh, as, uh, as delighted as I am with a decade of relative success uh, with the Legendarium, this is not my full-time job. <laughs> this right. is still largely a labor of love. You mm-hmm. know, make a little money off of it, but mm-hmm. not much to speak of. Um, anyway, but going back to your actual question, uh, as far as my parents, I had a couple of advantages in this regard. Number one, they were accepting of whatever path we might want to take. And that was never really a question. There was never um there was never a hey, you need to do this. You know, you should go mm-hmm. into pre pre-law was kind of the track that it looked like I was on. I was never on it, but from the outside <laughs> that's what it would have looked like. Um so you know, you'd be a lawyer, be a doctor, be whatever. Nobody ever said that to me in my house. So that was advantage number 1. Uh and then advantage number 2 is actually that I'm a middle child. Okay. So I've got two older brothers and a younger sister and all the middle children out there, show me your hands, you know, who got largely forgotten in the mix, <laughs> right? This is the, yes. the middle child thing. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I, I didn't have that push that I think maybe some kids might've had, mm. oh, you, you need to do this. I'm going to help you direct your life. Mm. Um, I, I just never had that. Okay. So in this regard, like I said, um, yeah, a, a therapist out there, I'm sure it would have a lot to say <laughs> about this, but as far as this conversation goes, it was quite an advantage, uh, because it did let me cultivate just the stuff that I loved and not only what I thought I had to do. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Um, and then, I had I wanted to ask why no Alice in Wonderland on your podcast. Uh you know, it's one of those things that should we do it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Will we do it? Yeah, probably one day. It just uh the the TBR as they say, the to be read pile, <laughs> it it grows apace. And so it's tough. You know, we have to we do have to balance um what what's something new and interesting with what are the things that we want to read regardless right. of when they came out you know we're doing the uh um the matt stover series and it's like yeah from 1998 this series that nobody remembers yeah, yeah let's do that you know, <laughs> so we have to balance these things and, now did um, you what was have you have you read uh alice before not, no? not since i was so young that i can't remember i think i read it when i was 12 um and so, like I said, don't quiz me on it. I yeah. just, it's one of those things where you have flashes and images, uh, kind of like my remembering who Gollum was. Like, wait a minute, yeah. I've seen this somewhere. Yeah. That's what I have with Alice. Well, since I've been working in the Alice world, you know, it's kind of like buying, um, you know, you, you buy a Prius and suddenly you look and everybody has a Prius. It's like, I can't believe how many Priuses are. Or here it's like <laughs> Prius. a Tesla, Prius or a Tesla. It's like, my God, there is a Tesla in every corner. Um, and Alice seems to be everywhere in pop culture because I'm, mm. I'm focused on it. It's, and, uh, you know, in the last political cycle, it was down the rabbit hole countless times. Uh, and, and then after our, our podcast and I was thinking about, um, Lord of the Rings, I was really curious, uh, to, to see what, I only th- think of Lord of the Rings as the books and the movies and, the video games, because there are mm. so many, you know, really excellent games on now the television show. But there's a lot of musicians that have been inspired 
by Lord of the Rings, like Led Zeppelin, which was one of my childhood favorites. So um, you probably see it in a completely different way, like I would see a Tesla. So tell me (laughs) how, how much influence there is of Lord of the Rings in culture today and and why does it last? And why are those themes, which seem to be resonating now more mm. than ever, uh, in terms of what we're going through? Oh boy, uh, you you like to end with the the little questions, right? You just want to <laughs> you, you just want to shoot the breeze a little bit. Gee, many Christmas. Uh, okay, so as far as as far as what we see around us, you know, the Lord of the Rings has become especially after the movies but even before that i think um especially after the peter jackson trilogy uh it's the water we swim in and we fish don't know we're wet mm-hmm. right and so we see stuff and we uh maybe it's so familiar that we don't remark on it mm-hmm. or maybe it's uh we remark on it but oh hey there's this old trope of you know the the wayfaring traveler stopping by an inn or the um the ring rates one of tolkien's most original contributions mm-hmm. to the genre you know this this idea of the twisted evil that used to be human and now serves the dark one and like this is a this is a super super common storytelling uh device now and uh so i'm, I'm trying to think if there are other like if there are things about it that we use on a daily basis, like the phrase down the rabbit hole. I'm not entirely sure that we have that style of thing with is, the Lord of the Rings. Is the is the the line, my precious, is that from the book or the movie? It must be from the movie, right? It's from both. It's, it's from, from both. both. It is. But it's okay. when you have yeah, Ian Holm saying it and Andy Serkis <laughs> saying it, it does something a little different, right? It gives you that that living meme in your head uh, so i think yeah as far as and as one as ring that, i think one ring too right one ring and and that phrase um i think that's also seems but not down the rabbit hole i mean down the rabbit hole is it's the reason alice in wonderland is the second most quoted book in the world but <laughs> right there's still so much with um yeah, I don't think we could do an exercise like that or, you know, you can read those huge lists of no. words and phrases that we still use from Shakespeare. Yeah, um, exactly. I don't think we could do that, although everybody knows what a hobbit is. If you were to list magical creatures, you have elves and dwarves and ogres and orcs and hobbits. Hobbits were not a thing, right? right. Tolkien invented these out of whole cloth. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, so so those have entered i was actually just playing the new york times uh, like game uh-huh. they, they have their app with uh-huh. all their games on uh-huh. it and one of their word games i was like no way no way they've got it in there and i put in hobbit and it's correct and i was like oh great okay so that's in the dictionary now yeah uh, so you know we might have a little thing here and there but i think the grand quest and you know thematically you know resilience and friendship and um you know good and evil i mean certainly those 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 are used over and over thematically in, in all these, you know, all these big shows and movies. And it feels this, like it started so much of that started, you know, with uh, Lord of the Rings and what. I, I think you're I think you might be right as far as pop culture goes. Yeah. If we're talking about popular yeah. culture uh, taking these things in, I think you're probably right. But one of the amazing and wonderful things about Tolkien is that 
he he never regarded his books, uh, his stories, his world as an end point. This isn't where you're going. This isn't your destination. It's a jumping off point. In fact, um, if anybody's interested in reading a short story, it's about 20 pages long and it will change your life. Um, it's called Leaf by Niggle. Uh, Niggle is this character who is a reflection of Tolkien himself. And, and you read this and in the end of the story, it's a story of meditation on death and life and what happens in the afterlife. And it, the whole idea behind this story was that the uh, painting that Niggle was creating, which mirrored Tolkien's story, his mythology, uh, comes to life in purgatory. And it's his job to, to mm. bring it to life. And it becomes a way station for mm. other souls on their way from life into the afterlife. They pass through this thing. That's how I think, at least at that point in his life, that's how he viewed what he was building was as a way station. So when I say that, what I mean is he never wanted you to get lost in Middle Earth. He wanted you to use it to be inspired to mm. go back to the real world and, and think about things differently. So when a reader comes to the Lord of the Rings with a certain type of mindset and a certain thirst for knowledge, for curiosity, you get out of Middle Earth and go, where did that come from? And if you just scratch the surface a little bit, you go, oh, maybe I should read Beowulf. Maybe I should go read the Icelandic Eddas. Maybe I should read the Kalevala from Finland and, you know, get into these German uh, fairy tales and, mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And it, it sends you, <clears throat> if you'll excuse me, down a rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for that. Up, you're welcome. <laughs> it sends you off on an adventure to all these other things that are part of our world you're not stuck in middle earth it's a way station it, it, right. it directs you elsewhere my favorite secondary writer on middle earth is tom shippy and the thing i i hold most dear from my experience reading tom shippy he wrote uh, author of the century the road to middle earth these kind of um, uh, intellectual treatises on uh, middle earth and tolkien what i appreciated about that was that he gave me end notes. He gave me suggestions of, hey, you know, if this is interesting, you need to go read this. And so I did. And it's that it it's that somebody who can crystallize ideas like what you're talking about. Where did this reluctant hero come from? Tolkien didn't invent that. Where did the idea of courage in our stories come from? He didn't invent that. He just gave it to us and said, you know, if you want to learn more about this, I based these Rohirrim on the old English. Go read Beowulf. You'll learn all about it. Love that sort of thing, which is great. I mean, it's uh, it's a handing down of of stories, and um, and I think that's uh, so so important. And in getting lost a little bit uh, with uh, what we have in social media, uh, I was listening to somebody talk about social media um, and one's life, and he had a graph, and it was every month of your life, if you're 18 to 90, and that's just if you have, if optimally you live to 90. And he was showing that, uh, you know, this many months you'll sleep, this many you eat, this many you work. And if you stay on social media, this is how much time you would have mm. wasted on social media. But then more importantly, he goes back to the difference between now is social media is a 15 second interaction. Back in when we were reading books, you had to focus and you would you would sink into a world 
and you would go on an adventure and you'd have to absorb so much of this world to, to contextualize how it, your enjoyment of it, how you think about the world, how you start to interact in the world. And I, I fear that we, we lose some of that. So hearing what you're talking about in terms of these books um, being a way station, which is a great way, which is a great way of um, uh, contextualizing that uh, to find your way into other other stories and other authors and you know other experiences. So that's uh, that's excellent, uh, and thank you for for sharing that. And that short story that you're talking about, I'm going to read it mm. because um, I, I published a book. A friend of mine wrote called Static, and in Static, it's a murder mystery, a high school murder mystery, and one, it's a brother-sister story, and the brother dies, and he ends up in a place, it's called the Aftermart, which is a way station uh, hmm. between our world and and wherever you believe you're going to go, but it's about items that have something important that is unresolved, and that item, you have to find it, you have to resolve that thing before you can go on. And mm -hmm. it's a story that goes back and forth between Aftermart and our world. And so when you talked about that way station, it's the same. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it goes both ways. It's a communication. You know, this author who has, you know, who's started writing, Lewis Carroll started writing in 1856, I think, uh, Alice in Wonderland. And uh, I know Tolkien started in 1913, right? Starting something like that, his books. Yeah, 1917, I think, in the tre yeah. trenches. And so, you know, these folks have been in the trenches a long time, and still here we are talking about them. So yeah. uh, I only hope that people are still talking about your podcast in... Uh, <laughs> I I have no such grand ambitions, <laughs> Frank. This is uh, <laughs> oh come on. This we is can aspire. Uh, Let's aspire. <laughs> that, that's one of the one of the most uh, wonderful and infuriating things about the internet is that it's simultaneously forever and <laughs> and utterly fleeting, right? And so when I'm finally done with this podcast, I'll take all of the audio files and put them on, you know, a thumb drive or something and save them for posterity. And, and then they'll look at the thumb drive and go, how the heck am I supposed to read this? You know? But yeah, this is, uh, it's, I, I, as I say, I have no such grand ambitions, <laughs> but I do love, even if it is fleeting, I do love the idea of helping other people love the books that they love. Uh, there's there's something about sharing it with others, you know, whether I'm the one talking into the microphone with my friends uh, in the studio here, or if you're the one listening on your headphones, there's something about experiencing it with other people and hearing other perspectives that can really solidify what you love. And it's not always because I love it. You know, <laughs> I, I haven't loved everything that we've read. But my saying, you know, I, I've got this problem with it. Well, it'll get somebody's hackles up and say, no, I do love it for this reason. And how dare you? And I think that's great. Yeah, I think that's, you know, having a discourse over it and uh, and sharing. And um, there's so many, so many great books. And folks need to know what, you know, I've learned a lot in this uh, in this podcast about um, various writers, ver you know, writers that mm. I've seen their books at Comic-Con, like Patrick's book. I, I remember thinking, oh my God, who wrote that? Look at these books. 
I mean, there are thousands of pages of novel <laughs> after novel, and and then um, and then I think he was sitting in a booth next to me signing, and um, he was you know very engaging with his fans, and and they were just lining up and you know and and uh, and attracting other fans, which is what I love about Comic Con. And by the way, they have a you must know this they have a great one in in Salt Lake City, because. Comic right. I used to think it was for comic books, but they love all things to do with pop culture. But they particularly love novels. Mm, yeah, I. It's it continues to be a thing. It's a thing, and I remember yeah. in the beginning when I went to Comic Con, I was telling my publisher Penguin, I go, do you know that I sell more novels at Comic Con than comic books? You guys should have a booth here. You guys should be promoting your authors at Comic Con. They took my advice. Good. <laughs> yeah, so. it's it's remarkable. And when you go down um, Artist Alley, you know, most Comic-Cons uh -huh. have an Artist yeah, Alley. Absolutely. Uh, the stuff that you see there is um, often, you know, it, there's going to be a lot of anime stuff, a lot of comic book stuff, but a lot of fan art based on their favorite books. And it sells like freaking hotcakes. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrific. So um, before we end, uh, who's uh, so tell me the book that uh, you started with. You said you had a new podcast. Um, I hadn't read the book. So tell me the name. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's Matt Stover, Matthew Stover. OK, uh, the first book is called Heroes Die. And I I urge everyone listening to go Google that or Google Heroes Die and check out the cover. It is without a doubt the worst cover I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was, this was like the nadir of all, you know, fantasy at, at that time, the mid to late nineties, the covers were generally very, very bad. And this one takes the cake. It's just awful. Uh, but within it, it is a remarkable book. And he wrote a four book series. Uh, and the four books are of varying lengths. He uses different tone and style. Uh, he has different themes that he tries to capture within each book. Uh, and they, so they're wildly different and, you know, unlike most of the series that we tend to read and love that carry through, you know, that this is, I, I like this. So I'll like the next one. Mm -hmm. It's like listening to an album by Beck. You <laughs> never know what the next track is going to bring you. It's just, he's so off the wall. That's the kind of thing. Okay. Uh, so Heroes Die, it's called The Acts of Cain. That's the first book. So people can go check that out. And I highly, highly recommend it. I'm actually doing this in conjunction with the Inking Out Loud podcast. Uh, so its host, Drew, and I are going to be swapping back and forth and doing this episode on mine, the next on his, and vice versa. Oh, that's a cool idea. What's Drew's last name? Drew McCaffrey. And what is his emphasis uh, with his podcast? So he does a similar thing to what we do. It's a book club style podcast, uh, but he is um, uh, he's a writer himself, as yet unpublished, although I've read his stuff and it's only a matter of time. Uh, he's very good. Uh, so he comes at it from a writerly perspective, uh, whereas I tend to come at it from, uh, <laughs> shall we call it a readerly perspective? Have you thought about writing? Had it ever been something that you've considered? You know, it is uh, something that I've considered for sure. I have, you know, a few ideas bouncing around in my head, uh, but I am not sure if I have the discipline to carry it through. I admire people like you who can even finish a book, let alone get it published and get 
thousands and millions of people to read it. So I've thought about it, but honestly, this is actually something that uh, that I've thought about a lot over the years because I've got this question a lot. You know, hey, you talk about books all day. Why don't you write one? I say, you know, I could, and I, I maybe I should at some point. But also, I, I think while writing is a talent that can be cultivated, uh, so is reading. And right now I am happy to continue cultivating that talent and try to get better at it um, and try to sure. continue to enjoy yeah. it more and more. Yeah. And being able to break down those stories and share the stories uh, as you do in the podcast is definitely, definitely a talent. I, I remember listening to uh, some of your podcasts before I came on and I was like, wow, this is really intimidating. I do not want to get into a deep discussion about some of these <laughs> books because that is not how I process uh, my creativity. You know, uh, I, I, yeah. I I have to really, I have to go deep into my world and, and then hope that these influences show up, but I can't be thinking about that. I have to just think, is this a nice sentence? Is this a decent right. paragraph? Does this make a good chapter ending? Uh, I was, you know, listening to, um, you dissect some of these novels. It was really impressive. And I, I really encourage people to listen to your uh, podcast. It's, a, it's tons of fun. And obviously you've done it for 450 times or something like that. So <laughs> you know what you're doing and you have a, you have a great uh, radio voice as well. So, um, you know, uh, I appreciate that when I got hired at the radio station, at the age of 21 or 22, whatever mm -hmm. it was, I was told that I would never be on the air, um, <laughs> that my voice was terrible and I had no idea how to read. So, <laughs> Well, uh, yes, I, I, I love that uh, because uh, it speaks to that thing about being you know, rejected and failing and then finding your, mm. finding your way and how satisfying it is to, um, to overcome and, uh, and find something you love, whether you're, you know, making a lot of money at it or not. Um, it's, it's all about process and process yeah. is life. And, um, I, I, I'll leave people with this if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, the thing that I, that I love about the legendarium and the reason why I keep doing it. Uh, well, I mean, there's lots of reasons I, I love doing it on its own terms, but no, it doesn't make me a lot of money. Um, it pays for itself. So that's great. You know, that's actually more than most podcasts can say, I suppose. But, but what it does is it opens doors, right? It lets me meet people like you. It sends me to this or that convention. It uh, it provides opportunities where I was working in a bank for four years. You know, at the beginning of this show, I was working in banking. It was one of my customers who came in and she and I got to talking. I said, you should come on my show. So, <laughs> so she came on the show. That's how I got a job in marketing and how I ended up doing other podcast projects and YouTube channels. And it's those doors that open. If, if you do what you love, yeah. it may not make you rich, but it can open doors for you and lead you to meet people. Um, and you don't don't just count the dollar dollar bills. Yeah, yeah, I, it's, I, I it's love about more than that. I, I really love that story, and it, you know, it is following your passion and trusting that those doors will open, and doing the work and starting. So, you know, with you with your podcast, you started it, and you had uh, somebody from the bank, you know, on. Uh, if you're a writer, it's writing those first couple pages, you know, and, and you don't yeah. have to show them to any. It's just starting and seeing if you keep doing it. And if you keep doing it, then you probably will find your way through it. So, yeah. 
Well, it's been uh, a real uh, pleasure, uh, and thank you for sharing your love of all things Tolkien, and uh, and uh, look forward to uh, maybe catching you at a Comic Con in the future. Oh, absolutely! Thank you so much for having me, Frank. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Bud. Really appreciate okay. it. All right. All right. Have a good one. Later. You too. Bye. See ya. Bye. You haven't even paid me from last time. I haven't watched Halo either. I'm going to summarize Halo Season 2 based on the Watching Now Halo podcast from Couch Soup. This is going to be fun. So Chief could be crazy. <laughs> Cortana's had a facelift. We're a bit mixed. Quan and Soren's story is really boring. Is is it over yet? Reach is f***ed. Reach for the stars. You all are gonna die. Spartans have a new leader called Ackerson. More like Dickerson. Apparently McKee is alive? She didn't die on screen, so she's probably not dead. Key's definitely not dying. Right, right, right. And the flood is coming. Is the water on this planet? What do I know? You should be listening to the Watching Now Halo podcast everywhere. Podcasts are available. Where's my money, Drew?